GM, GM, welcome to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. Don't get caught in the hype cycle. I'm Jay Bird, and I believe that vehicles on chain are going to change the world. That's why I'm carving a path for doers to confidently build and invest in Web3. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode. Today we have Andy Chatham, the CEO and co-founder of Demo joining us. Now, what is Demo? Demo is a connected vehicle platform that is built on chain. Now, what's interesting about this conversation is Demo didn't start as a crypto company. Blockchain was actually added down the road after they realized that crypto was a great way to incentivize users to install devices in their cars, which is a core part of what Demo is building. Now, Demo aims to build a platform upon which a number of applications can be built to make your experience of driving your car better. So anybody can download the Demo app right now. And if you have a car that was built in the last five years, you can connect to that car because that car very likely has a smart device within it currently. And if you connect the Demo app to your smart device within your car, you can see on the app, you can see how much gas you have in the tank. You can see how much range you have left, what your tire pressure is, your battery voltage. You can even see a live value of your car and connect directly to a marketplace where you could sell your car if you want. In the future, they also have the plans to connect to insurance providers where an insurance provider could make you an offer based upon the data that your insurance, that insurance provider could access. Now, we've talked a lot about this at Web3 Academy is that we believe that the next wave of on-chain adoption isn't financial apps. It's not art on-chain. It's consumer apps. It's consumer apps that provide you with a better user experience by using blockchain in the back end. Andy even says in this episode that the way the tech works is that the car is actually an NFT that's created on chain. Now, they don't promote that though. You go to the Demo app, the Demo website, it's not saying turn your NF turn your car into an NFT. They are abstracting away all of the crypto, all of the blockchain stuff and just providing you with a better experience of your car so that you can have a simpler experience, less less trouble when let's say you're going to a mechanic, you now can have more data because you understand more about your car as opposed to that data being owned by your car manufacturer or only being accessible by your mechanic. There's no reason why we can't put power back in the hands of users. And that is exactly what Demo is aiming to do. This is just an incredible episode at what is going? what the future of blockchain is going to be. It's so much bigger than the way we currently realize it. And a lot of it has to do with data and enabling us, the users, to own that data as opposed to just the companies using and owning that data and then selling it out the back door. And a lot of it has to do with trust and how much we lack trust currently in our digital landscape. And as we have more data on chain, we need to build more connected platforms, connected ecosystems where that data can be shared, but it can only be shared if you give it permission because you have custody of that data. Just 
incredibly exciting to see what Demo is building. You guys are really going to enjoy this episode. Before we do, we'll just take a minute to hear from our sponsor, Paragraph. Modern newsletters are built on Paragraph. That's right. Paragraph is a brand new newsletter platform that combines the best parts of Web 2 and Web 3 to supercharge newsletters for both writers and readers. Build a community, not just an audience. Paragraph uses blockchain tech to allow readers to collect and own the words that matter to them. This takes reading a newsletter to the next level. With Paragraph, readers can mint, collect, and show off quotes from their favorite newsletters. This opens new possibilities like creators sharing revenue with fans. I also love their new feature, Paragraph AI. This integrates GPT-4 natively in Paragraph to create, edit, and improve your writing effortlessly with one click. And guess what? We at Web3 Academy are on board and have already moved our content over to Paragraph. We believe this is the future of newsletters because of the profound engagement it creates between creators and fans. So whether you're a creator, writer, or an avid reader, it's time to check out Paragraph and capitalize on the opportunity of being early. GM Andy, welcome to Web3 Academy. Thanks for having me. Let's just start. I feel like it's explaining demo is not simple. It's not the most obvious business to get because you're disrupting the entire car industry in a way. So in your own words, what is Demo and what are you building? Yeah, to the the Web3 initiated, you can think of Demo as a protocol for connected vehicles. It's actually a general purpose IoT protocol. So what it does is create on-chain identities for IoT devices. And the biggest category of IoT device today is a car. And then it has the ability to verify data coming from those vehicles and issue rewards and other incentives and digital assets to on-chain devices based on their behavior in the real world. And so effectively what that means today is there's apps built on Demo that allow you to connect and verify ownership of a car and then mm -hmm. to earn tokens and get issued other you know, on-chain assets for doing real-world activities with those vehicles. And we're also building on top of Demo, on top of the protocol, just like on top of Ethereum, there's you know MetaMask and OpenSea. We're building apps and integrations and services that allow for more efficient markets to be created on top of those on-chain assets. So we're building plugins to the insurance market, into the used car market, making it easier for people to get repair services and you know quotes for tires. All these things can be made more efficient with better access to data and having you know one canonical copy of of the data from a vehicle allows us to you know kind of build a much more robust ecosystem of, of applications on top of cars and other connected devices and so we've been building it for about two years and yeah what you, what you see today is is really kind of like the first version that's been out there for in production in mainnet for less than a year at this point i want to get into how you're using blockchain but before we do I just want to take a step back. You have an interesting set of co-founders, and I think that it's helpful to maybe give a little bit of a brief background on the founders and how that led you down the path of starting Demo and really like what was the initial problems you were trying to solve? Yeah. So 
I, I spent about 10 years in the mobility space. I got started back in 2012 when people were sort of initially starting to get very excited about connected elect electric vehicle technology and starting to think about autonomous vehicles and spent about, you know, a, a decade after that working on different projects that were trying to bring those technologies into the real world. And most recently before starting Demo, I was working at a company called Transdev, which is a large bus and rail systems operator primarily. And, and I worked to build a business there that was focused on helping autonomous vehicle companies scale up from being science projects to like actual useful pieces of transportation infrastructure and spent a lot of time working with some of the market leaders like Waymo and you know, some companies building autonomous shuttles and learned a lot about the limitations with the, that technology and, and also like one of the big issues that people are starting to see today, which is it's really hard to get people to trust them. And there's an incredible amount of value that's placed in the data that's coming from those vehicles, especially when there's incidents or you know certain types of issues that, that come up as they're operating in, in the real world. And there were no real solutions proposed to the problem of how do you distribute trust from like one company, whether it's you know Google operating a fleet of self-driving cars to multiple companies like an insurance company or a fleet operator like Transdev or local government. So that kind of got me initially thinking down the line of, you know, could there be some sort of blockchain-based solution or distributed you know, network that, that could be created to help the users at the edge of the network actually have more control over the data when it's produced by these cars and have more confidence in their decisions as a result of that. And I connected with kind of like the, the CTO of the project, one of the co-founders who was um, thinking about a lot of the same issues and, and was building dispatch systems for Ford and Argo AI's autonomous vehicle fleet in that was rolling out in Miami about 2019. And... Okay. We iterated on a bunch of different ideas. And, and one of the things we started doing was building Helium networks. And that got us down the rabbit hole of creating real world application that used a blockchain to increase trust and, and certainty amongst a distributed network of people that were all you know, creating some, some useful real world asset. And we had a lot of the domain expertise and, and technical knowledge to create something very similar for the automotive world. And... Yeah, a lot of the pieces to create Demo didn't really exist back in 2019, but even by 2020, 2021, with you know examples like Helium out there, other pieces of infrastructure allowing us to connect cars without having to put a piece of hardware in them, and then also the ability to create hardware that you could plug into a car very easily. That was kind of like all of the ingredients that you needed in order to make Demo exist in a, in a technical sense. And then two of the other co-founders who I, I knew from from previous jobs, I was able to loop in and they were both working in the crypto space. One of them, Rob, was at Consensus, which was responsible for MetaMask and Infura and a lot of the Ethereum infrastructure. And the other is Alex, who's working at a company called Chainalysis and really had a lot of experience in terms of helping very Web2 companies start to think about Web3 data and networks. And so that's you know a very important part of what we're doing at Demo is we've built a supply of connected vehicles now that's over 25, 26,000 cars. Like marketing that to companies that are trying to use it for some real world purpose and, and to plug in their existing services is becoming very important. And so those are the four, four folks who started, you know, kind of jumping in at the beginning. And then we were able to go recruit a bunch of really talented engineers, folks who were building really large scale distributed systems for telecom and, and in the automotive space. And that's formed the, the sort of nucleus. And we've also been very lucky to recruit lots of really great partners, folks who are building hardware devices and applications on the network. And yeah, all of that has kind of happened in the last two years. So it's one of those rare, like time and place sort of scenarios where it wasn't 
necessarily a new idea that we had to create an open decentralized network for IoT devices, but a lot of the pieces and, and kind of like the bootstrapping mechanism just had, had really become possible. You mentioned so many things in there, so many threads that I want to pull on. And for those listening on the podcast, Andy has flashed a few times a hardware device on screen. And we'll talk about that hardware device and how that fits into this ecosystem and what you're building. Before we do, though, many of us own a car. I have a car. I've got a Ford F-150 truck. But I don't know that most of us really understand that there is a hardware device in our car. What is the data that that's capturing? How is yeah, that sure. used currently? Can you just kind of give us a background on like, what's the current state of the connected vehicle market? Is it just car manufacturers right now building things like Ford Pass? And how does it currently work? How do they share data? Yeah. So there's basically three different kinds of cars on the road today. There's a car with no connectivity. And that car will still have a bunch of computers on it that are producing data for things like the radio, the infotainment system that's showing you, you know, how fast your car is going and maybe some of the, they're called ECUs that, that control the automatic braking system or something else, but, but not connected at all. So no outside internet connection. And then in the last five or six years, the majority of the cars that are coming off of the production line have something like OnStar or in your case, Ford Pass that is you know basically like a cell phone that's embedded in the car that's collecting some data from the car and sending it back to the cloud and you have to have a subscription for it and it's pulling everything from like your tire pressure to your oil levels your fuel level it can also have emergency services associated with it and it's basically embedded in the vehicle but the car itself is still in that case like a bunch of different other computers that are you know, you know, maybe sharing data back to this central place where it's then, you know, aggregated and sent back up to some, you know, GM controlled or Ford controlled server. And then recently there's what's called the software defined vehicle, which is what a Tesla is. And, and a lot of newer, newer cars are starting to be, you know, most of the older OEMs like Ford and GM are migrating to this new platform where there's one central computer on the vehicle that aggregates and basically brings all the intelligence from the edge of the network that's in the car to the center and, and allows it to do a, a lot more computation on the data and has more sensors. So maybe it's, you know, bringing in video camera data from outside the vehicle. If you look at most cars today, there's, there's typically two cameras like right above the dash that are always you know, on pointed outwards. And the software defined vehicle is typically associated with an electric car and a car that also has automated driving capabilities, but those are not necessarily part of it. And those cars are able to, the interesting thing about those vehicles is that they're basically like a cell phone. They're able to get over the air updates. They can you know, essentially produce like a firmware update for the vehicle where if you have an issue with a tire pressure monitoring system, you can create an over the air update that fixes it without having to bring the car into the dealer. And that also introduces new capabilities, but also new cybersecurity risks with the vehicles because, you know, in the past it was very security through technical complexity and, and obsolescence. And, and now today, like, you know, there is essentially a button at Tesla that can, you know, can hit and it updates a million cars that are driving on public roads today. And, and that's a little terrifying, but the reality of the world that we live in. And, and so we look at that and, and say, well, we're, we're building solutions for all those things. So we have a hardware device that you can plug into, you know, the first car, the dumb car, and mm -hmm. give it an internet connection. And then you have the ability to see it on a map. You can pull some data from it. All these cars have standard, it's called the CAN bus. So it's a you know, standard way of transmitting data that says, here's an error code that just pops. So we can read that with a hardware device and then say, okay, well, you know, instead of having to drive to AutoZone and plug their error code reader in it, you basically have that you know, capability yourself. And then we've also created 
the ability for people with existing connected vehicles to start collecting their own data from those cars and storing it on their own. So we've built one app that allows you to connect any type of car, whether it's a Tesla or a GM car that has OnStar or your car with Ford Pass or a car that you're showing up and plugging a hardware device into and you get the standardized kind of same readout on the data from them. You can see them all on the same map. And then importantly, we're also building an ecosystem of services that can use the data from those cars and, you know, take the VIN number and the odometer and, you know, the fuel level and give you back an idea of like, here's the cheapest place to go get gas. Or this company says they can save you 20% on insurance. And, and the idea there is to sort of invert the balance of power from the car company or the car dealer has all the data about your car today. And you're asking them to see it or to use it. And instead you have all the data and they're asking you like, can I see it and, and use it? And that's, you know, a very important dynamic shift that we've started to put in, in place. And one of the difficult things that we had to do is make it work for every car, which mm -hmm. you know, we've put a ton of effort into. And then now the next, you know, difficult challenge is, is taking all of that data that we've helped users collect about their own car and then making it available to third-party developers in a way where the user is in charge of who gets access to it. Mm -hmm. um, and this is something that, you know, today is for most people interesting, but not like the most useful pressing thing in the world. But as cars are increasingly automated and the, the computer on the car is making more decisions and cars get more expensive and, and tech enabled, like it's going to become more and more important. And so we wanted to provide an alternative to what we saw happening, which was power getting centralized in companies like Tesla and GM and Ford as they're connecting the car to the internet, because in the past, They'd sell you the car and you owned it and that was it. They'd say you have to take it to the dealership to get fixed or whatever. But now we saw like, okay, well, they're actually like involved in everything going on with the car after they sell it to you. And they also can make pretty questionable decisions about what to do with the data. So we felt like it was important to give people the ability to opt out of that kind of like, you know, surveillance regime without losing the, the connected car functionality. And, and that's what we've delivered up to this point. Yeah, and I think that, one thing that really amazed me from downloading the Demo app and having the Ford Pass app is the Demo app is just better. It's just a oh, better thank you. Experience. Yeah. Well, you know, I spent a lot of time and effort into that. And yeah, I mean, yeah. Ford's a massive company. Like they put a ton of time and effort into Ford Pass as well. Right. Yeah. They have thousands of people working on it. Yeah. Like, exactly. Thousands of people. Why are they not capable of producing a great app? They are. I mean, hardware is really hard and they're in the hardest hardware category. Like they're primarily a hardware and manufacturing company. And the mentality around creating a software product, and I think consumer expectations, like one of the beautiful things about consumer expectations is that they keep getting higher every year. Mm -hmm. And a car is something that you make and the Ford made your car, I don't know what, like three, four years ago. Yeah. And that, you know, m maybe the Ford Pass app that you're using would have felt amazing three years ago. And now even three years later, it's like, well, it sucks. Like, you know, Tesla's app is way better than this. But like mm -hmm. Tesla has a software defined vehicle that they continuously update over the air. And like your Ford vehicle has not gotten one OTA update since you bought it, probably. And may maybe it has, but probably not. And so it's really hard to build a compelling consumer IoT product in the automotive space. And I think really only Tesla has delivered on that. Rivian's pretty, pretty good too. Like they're, you know, both kind of like starting with a clean slate. And even then it's, it's incredibly hard and they're having to build for a tremendously wide breadth of vehicles. So like they have, 
you know, and Ford has a pretty small vehicle lineup, actually, I think, you know, especially compared to like GM or mm-hmm. which includes Audi and Porsche and all this, you know, but there's a ton of limitations that they're faced with. And also like the architecture that they've chosen and like the way their supply chain works is, is very difficult. There's a TikTok I can, I can send you or like a, you know, video that the Ford CEO was giving an interview and he basically said, he explained the reason for this, which is in order to save three, four or five hundred dollars per vehicle, they shopped out the like connected vehicle portion of their supply chain to a third party provider, some tier one supplier like Bosch or Continental or whoever. Mm-hmm. And they're now in a situation where like they don't control that piece of the stack in their car. And so if they want to update it or if they want to like integrate a new feature into their app, they have to involve a third party and there's a change order and like, you know, they haven't set up their and, and in newer vehicles, that's not going to be the case, but they're still supporting your car and probably five or six other flavors of connected vehicle system that they have out there in the real world. And so it's tremendously compli- complicated. You know, I have a, a ton of respect for the automakers. Like generally we try to be, you know, very like uh, humble when it comes to the difficulties associated with building hardware, because even, you know, creating a hundred dollar plug-in hardware device, like is, is tough and they're doing something that is probably two orders of magnitude more complicated and trying to deliver a consumer software product on top of that, which is very hard. Yeah. And I think the other issue that we've seen is once, uh, and I'm sure you have insight into this, once it's like once all the car manufacturers realized that, okay, we have connected vehicles, we can start to collect all this data. Well, I'm sure revenue bells went off in their head and they were like, okay, well, let's monetize all this data. Yeah which we all know creates misaligned incentives because they're going to monetize it their way with their insurance partner or whatever partner versus a open market where the end user gets to have control and can basically enable, as you said, enable whoever they want to have access to that data because they have custody of it. That's kind of the chapter that is closing right now in that whole world. And there were a bunch of consultants that showed up in Detroit and Germany, you know, over the last five, seven years and said, Hey, you've got all this data. It's so great. Like you can sell it and you can, Mm -hmm. you know, create, they actually went and created a bunch of other like third party data broker companies that just finished going bankrupt or getting acquired for nothing over the last six months. And their, the vision was like, we have 10 million cars on the road with internet connections and we can sell that data to whoever and they'll be able to use it. And like, we actually went through the process of trying to buy that data at the beginning of starting demo because we thought of it as like, maybe this is a way that we could like give it back to the owners of those cars and have them kind of like bootstrap the network that way. And we realized that they they wouldn't sell it to us for that use. And then that was, you know, a situation where we we're like, okay, well, there's, if somebody can say no, like if you have to ask somebody in a boardroom in Detroit in order to build an app on a car, then you're never going to create a developer platform because mm-hmm. developers don't want to talk to people in Detroit in order to build something. And like somebody's always going to come up with a reason to say no. Yeah. And so that's what led us to go straight to the source and to build the hardware product and to build the software that allows a person to directly log into their car. And that creates an environment where like you might not have all of the data, but you have enough, like most of the app developers that we're working with, for example, just care about like odometer, VIN, and then like one other data point, whether it's like tire pressure, like sometimes not even, sometimes it's just odometer a bit. And like, that's good enough. You can get that for a large number of cars. And you can also create a situation where they're interacting directly with the user versus having to go through another company. Mm -hmm. And that creates a situation where like you're going to see 10 times as much stuff get built in that kind of environment versus mm-hmm. one where you have to ask for permission and the OEM is trying to like extract some rent 
out of, you know, mm-hmm. Progressive or AutoZone or whoever is, is trying to build in their ecosystem. And I think that the history of how, you know, tech platforms have been built is pretty aligned with that. <laughs> and yeah. they're starting to realize it. And you see, you know, GM made an announcement about opening up their developer platform. Tesla made an announcement about opening up their developer platform. And like, they recognize that if people want to build apps that use the data from their car, it makes their car better. And they don't really have a leg to stand on if they're trying to prevent the owners of their vehicles from accessing the data from their cars. And the market is set up in such a way where it's not like iOS and Android, where there's only two games in town. There's 12 different, you know, scaled automakers that are making, you know, millions of cars a year. And and so that creates an environment where like they all kind of have to be open in order to be competitive. And that's going to play out over five-year product cycle in, in the automotive space. It's not like cell phones where it turns over every two years. It's so interesting to compare compare it to social media in a way and the way you know Twitter used to be open and had an right. open API and was letting developers build on it. And then all the other social media companies went closed ecosystem, walled garden, we control data. Our revenue model is we sell that data out the back door and Twitter followed suit. And we now have all these closed ecosystems. Nobody can build on top of them. And right. now Web3 is coming in, blockchain allows, and we're seeing, you know, Farcaster and Lens and DSO, yeah, other Web3 social platforms take off because there's these open ecosystems that anyone can build. And so in the same way, it's sort of the same thing as you guys are targeting that vision with cars, right? Is there's all this data that's put into the hands of the users. Let's equip them with it. And then let's allow developers to build on top. Yep. And plug it in, in our case, like, there's willing buyers and the buyers are not necessarily interested in like where you went on Tuesday. They're interested in selling you insurance. And like, if you can share a little bit of data with them and they trust that data because it's verified and, you know, and they have some degree of trust in its ability, you know, in in how it's been collected, then they're willing to pay in some cases, thousands of dollars to acquire you as a customer. And they can offer you some sort of discount versus the competition. If they're actually Mm -hmm. factoring that data into their underwriting process, whether it's for a loan or an insurance premium, or they're all they're selling you insurance, or, or sorry, they're, they're selling you maintenance or tires. And so, you know, with cars, like the the other thing is that pe- people kind of forget about this, but it's it's the second biggest item in most people's budget. The market is five times bigger than phone handsets. So if you look at like Apple's revenue, I mean, Apple is wildly profitable. Their margins are huge, but like they're fraction of the revenue of the automotive industry. And there's a ton of other like most cars spend about three times their initial purchase price just staying on the road throughout the course of their life cycle. And so, you know, fuel and maintenance and insurance and and all of those markets, you know, should can and should be much more data driven. And the thing that's preventing that from happening is that there are no developer platforms for cars. And it's tremendously difficult to like aggregate enough supply in order to make it worth building on on one network. And that's what we're doing. So users clearly like this. Like I love it. it gives me a better app. Maybe I get a better rate on my insurance. Maybe I don't have to go to my car mechanic to get him to scan some code and he charges me $100 when I yeah. scanned it myself, right? Yeah. Like, so I, I like it. I'm going to do car manufacturers like this. Do they support this? Can they shut this down somehow? Like, we kind of touched this on, the, on this before. Like, we have a tremendous amount of respect for the automotive industry and how difficult it is to build a reliable car and keep it on the road. And 
we try not to be antagonistic towards the OEMs or do things that are like, you know, against their policies, but we also draw a pretty hard line in terms of like, if this is a card that you're paying for, you leased it, you bought it, like the data from that card belongs to you. And we're going to do everything we can to give you access to it and help you make better decisions with that data. And so we've certainly seen behavior on the part of OEMs, especially with newer cars, where they're trying to limit access to that data and keep you in their walled garden. And they'll send emails to users and say, hey, like we noticed you have a third party app connected. Like this is, you know, potentially unsafe or like try to like basically scare or bully them into just using their app, which is sort of silly. And like Plaid kind of fought this war with the banks and won where they got to the point where it's like, if you're a bank and you're offering an app or a website that gives somebody access to their banking information and they want to log in and like pull that data into some third party service, like you got to give them the data. <laughs> and cars are basically going through the same struggle right now. There has been a very longstanding debate about the OBD port, the universal port that's on every car and access to information from the vehicle. And it goes all the way back to the, there's a right to repairs is the kind of buzzword for that. And Zen in the art of motorcycle maintenance. Like, do you want the like black box BMW? It's a beautiful machine, but you can't fix it. Or do you want the like, you know, fully open source, you know, swap holding parts in and out version. And we're kind of in the like digital version of that debate right now, where there's some vehicles that you just literally can't fix without a you know very expensive piece of OEM diagnostic equipment. And like, you know, that is very relevant for gas cars. For electric vehicles, they actually need less maintenance on like the core powertrain, but there's a lot of valuable data that comes from the battery and the battery is 60% of the cost of the car. And so providing insight into like how batteries are performing out in the real world is something that, you know, we're starting to do and have very like ground truth data on that mm -hmm. doesn't require, you know, some third party to sort of sign off on it for it to be shared. And so like OEMs, to get back to your question, like the smart ones understand that this is the world that we live in now and they need to be transparent about the product they're producing and a part of that is sharing and making it possible for people to access the data. And if you do that, then you'll reap the benefits of greater trust with consumers and you'll see people start to build on your hardware platform, which as a hardware manufacturer, that's like the highest praise that you can get. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, people I, I think are are starting to come around to that, but it really depends. You know, you talk to people in the automotive industry and some of them are like, I love what you guys are doing. I've had my car connected since the beginning. Like, this is awesome, you know? And then there's other people who are like, I hate this. Like, I want you guys to die. Like, if I could sue you into oblivion, I would. We know what we're getting into, basically. And I think it's easy to do that when you have, you're on the right side of history and you're like taking a very customer, consumer, small business, like a lot of our users are small business fleets. And like, we know that they're going into a lot of these transactions being very information disadvantaged and we're fixing that. And so obviously people on the other side of those transactions are not going to like that, whether you're a car dealer or an OEM or an insurance company, but like the smart ones are going to realize that's the world we live in now and it's better. Okay. So I just want to make sure that everyone understands how this works like as a user. So I can connect the, D I can download the demo app and connect the demo app to my car if I have the appropriate car like a car that was basically manufactured probably in the last five years. Works with about 90% of cars that come off the production line today without a hardware device. Without yeah. a hardware, okay. 100% of Teslas, like a Tesla you can log in in like two minutes and just start, you're basically saving your own copy of the data from that car and we'll pull everything that we possibly can. We add support for new vehicles very frequently and we also improve support for existing vehicles, particularly with our hardware device and when OEMs 
open up new API endpoints, which is something that some of them are starting to do, we'll add support for it very quickly. And basically we look at it as like, we're building a digital twin of your car that yeah. you can use with any app on the network. Okay. Uh, I just want to, you keep using the term OEM for everyone who doesn't know that's a car maker equipment yeah. manufacturer. He's referring to the car manufacturers. Okay. So I set this up, I set up the app or I install the hardware into my car which you've shown a few times, it's basically like, I don't know, like a two inch by two inch chip that plugs into, I'm assuming- Yeah, we have a bigger one. The first one's called the AutoPie and the second one's called the Macaroon. We go with a dessert themed name for uh, for each. And uh, yeah, the, the Macaroon is about a third of the size and a third of the cost of the AutoPie. It also uses the Helium network for connectivity. So it's very cheap to keep online and user owns network that we're a big fan right, of. Right, so I don't have to- by a cell phone plant for this device. Right. And we bake the connectivity cost into the cost of the device. So this is by far the cheapest way to connect your car to the internet. And obviously it has these other benefits, like you can earn, you know, demo rewards and you can, you get the app for any of your cars. And increasingly there's also a bunch of exclusive services and discounts and things that you can only get by having a car connected to demo. And the goal is to make this like a complete no brainer of a purchase, like it's the best hundred dollars you've ever spent because it'll save you easily, you know, an order of magnitude more than that over the life of your car. Um, and possibly also allow you to sell your car for more money when you go to sell it the next time, because you have all of this historical data on the vehicle and you can show it's been you know properly maintained, or you can choose to not share any of that data. It's all yours. It's not like, you know, a third party. The other thing that's cool that's worth you know, mentioning for like the crypto crowd is that we, we create on-chain identities for not just the vehicles, but also the hardware devices. And so the hardware device is basically like a hardware wallet. This isn't a big part of it today, but you can like pay it, you can issue it NFTs or collectibles. People are starting to build games and apps on the network that allow you to, because it's an open developer platform and the user can show up and like log in with their wallet and get all the data from their car, you can create you know, a road trip game or, you know, something that's meant to be used on the racetrack. We have people that are making mapping games and quests and, and that sort of thing. And we, we've built it to be very open and permissionless and all of the necessary components have on-chain identities. So it's, it's very composable in that way. Amazing. Okay. You're perfectly segueing into the next part of this conversation, which up until now, we haven't talked a ton about crypto. We've talked a little bit about it. But I think it's important to recognize that you did not start Demo as a crypto company. You later on in your process decided to use crypto and blockchain. Is that accurate? Like what I want to convey here is a lot of our listeners and a lot of founders we speak to are, I think that they're often approaching crypto and blockchain from the wrong angle. They're saying, okay, how do I start a crypto company? And that's not the objective. Crypto, right. blockchain, it's just a mechanic to offer better features or to yeah. improve the user experience, but it's not a company on its own always. So far, we've seen that a lot because of DeFi. And then we've also seen it not a lot. Well, we've seen it fail a lot with NFTs, to be honest. Right. Give me a little bit of like the background on, do you consider Demo a crypto company? How did you sort of, what made you decide, and you mentioned Helium before and how you kind of went down that path. Is that what kind of got you to decide to involve crypto in the business? I followed the space for a long time. Like I bought my first Bitcoin in 2012 and like I didn't, obviously didn't hold on to it, but it's, you know, like a, 
like it's been a long journey of watching the space. It's not something that I just like kind of stumbled into. I've seen a lot of people like kind of opportunistically try to create some sort of, you know, crypto enabled IoT, this or that. But, you know, genuinely, like there's this period of time where, especially after the Ethereum white paper came out, I think it was like 2016, I guess, 2015, maybe. And I read it and was like, this is awesome. Like, this is a way to, you know, I was working in the transportation space, like just thinking about transit on a day-to-day basis. And was like, wow, we have these like hundred page long contracts with all of our clients that are based on like, if this happens, then do this. And like, you could take this contract and make it into a smart contract. And like, this is something that seems like it's going to be possible within 10 years. And yeah, maybe that will end up actually after 2026 seems kind of reasonable for like that portion of the government maybe to be, you know, starting to run. (laughs) I hope so. Had this sort of like insight very early on that it would be possible and and where my interest was in like tying the physical world and the real world into these open user-owned networks. And like generally the idea of like, I think one of the things that people in the crypto space could afford to do quite a bit more is study things that exist already in the real world. Like an electric utility is a user-owned network where there's a government, it's a DAO, like there's usually a governance you know system in place that functions somewhat well, that delivers a service to people that they pay for. And is tokenized like you can usually buy equity in it and like there's a lot of these good you know examples from the real world of stuff that works like that but in a lot of cases is very inefficient because of a lack of these sort of basic primitives that that crypto can now provide people and and one is like you know really important in the automotive space is that we have things to bootstrap off of like devices are already assigned identities by the government and so you can you create a civil resistant network by saying, okay, you can only have one of each VIN number. And from a VIN number, you can get lots of other data that allows you to verify, like, this is actually the car the person says it is. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's also like just having something like the Helium network that's a more open telecom resource allows us to verify data coming from cars and like, you know, make it very difficult to spoof or gain stuff that, that's coming in from the connected devices. And and so it, it was a matter, not, not necessarily, of, like you said, looking at and trying to start a crypto company, but realizing that there's an opportunity because of the presence of these networks and how they're becoming more robust and having better developer tooling and performance and cost that you actually could basically remove the back end of a connected vehicle system or big chunk of the back end of a connected vehicle system and replace it with a blockchain. And that would offer you much worse performance and terrible user experience, but be better in one very important way in that it's neutral and owned by the users. And that would solve a huge problem, which was getting developers to trust it and want to build on it and getting mm-hmm. users to feel like they're invested in this ecosystem because they own a piece of it and can you know, participate in the governance of it. And that was not something that was possible before. Like that's really all that matters. And there's a lot of ways that people could point at something like Demo and be like, well, it doesn't do this, or it doesn't do that. But there's one thing that they can say, which is, you know, it, the users are in charge and mm-hmm. there, there's nothing else in the world that that is like that at this point. And I think that's going to continue to be quite important, especially as the devices connected to networks like that are doing increasingly more risky things and are not necessarily risky, but like important things in the real world. There, there are computers that are, are making very important decisions that people want visibility into and control mm-hmm. over. And there's these huge honeypots of connected device control that are they're being established that you can start to push out to the edges in, in a network like this more mm-hmm. effectively. And it's something where we did not set out like this is sort of the best or the <laughs> this was the worst solution except for all the other ones for how to build a network like this. And we are ideologically very aligned with 
a lot of the values that are present in like the Ethereum community and even the the Bitcoin world to a certain extent. Although like a lot of those people don't like sort of draw the line at like you know mo monetary only Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't do anything else with this. Like yeah, and so you know I think it's one of those situations. But one of the other things I'll say is that you can get into trouble a little bit in taking an idea like this too far. Like I actually think that there there are a lot of markets that people are trying to apply these principles or this type of architecture to that actually don't really make sense. And cars are very unique because they have identities. They're really valuable. There's lots of other inefficient markets that are based on them. And like, there aren't that many other use cases like that where it makes sense. For cars, it really makes sense. It's like mm -hmm. trillions of dollars worth of assets that you need to bring online. And there's you know, a bad way to do it, which is let the car companies control the asset after they make it. And there's a good way, which is put the users in control. And like, this is how we do the good way. Totally. Yeah. So well said. Okay. I want to break down the two, what I see as the two main ways that you guys are using blockchain. So you talked a little bit about the car. Let's just go into some more detail. What goes on chain? How How is the car brought on chain? You mentioned that there's so many, and it's, it is actually, I don't know, luck isn't the right word necessarily, but it helps you a lot that there is all these identity primitives yeah, given really. to a car. So, but tell us how is the car brought on chain? What is brought on chain? So we wrote a smart contract that's kind of like if you're in the US, I don't know if they say the same thing in Canada, but they, the DMV, the Department yeah. of Motor Vehicles, it's like where you go to like register your car, you know, get a new title for it, whatever. We wrote a smart contract that's basically like that. And it enforces uniqueness. So it makes sure that each car is only connected once. And we use VIN numbers to do that and, and require a certain level of verification before the car can be you know, granted this on-chain license. And that is an NFT. We don't advertise it as such. It's not that important, but it shows up in your wallet and you can see it. You can make a nice picture for it and give it a name. So that represents not ownership of the car, although it could in the future, but it's ownership of the data from the car. So if you show up to an application and you say, I have this in my wallet, then you get the data from that car and you can you know, make different requests and, and you can transfer it to somebody else. So that person would then get access to the data from that car. You can also just grant access on chain so that, you know, you could say your wife can have access to these data points from the vehicle, but not these. And all of that is, is an on-chain registry. There's a name service that we don't use a whole lot today, but you know, will become more important in the future to, you know, take the like zero X one, two, three, four and turn it into Andy's car. And a lot of that stuff we get for free because it's already built there in, in the Ethereum world. And so yeah, establishing the on-chain identity for the vehicle is important. We don't put the VIN number on chain, but that's part of the um, enforcing the uniqueness of the car. Just the make, model, and year goes on chain. And when I say we, this is just you know, contributor to the community is adding on-chain primitive for trip data. So you can bundle up some of the data that's signed by a vehicle and put that on chain to verify like you completed a trip or you did this you know real world action and you can bundle in attestations from other service or devices with on-chain identity. So like a Helium hotspot saw your car go from A to B, and that's part of this proof of movement primitive that we think is going to be pretty important to the, the network over time, where you can get a lot of certainty that something happened in the real world and create basically like consensus on, on some real world activity by layering in data from lots of different oracles that have on-chain identities and reputations and and so we've started to build the pieces of that into the network as well. And that's a part of being able to issue rewards to the owners of the devices on chain. So if you have 10 vehicles in your wallet and they all stay connected 
to the network in a given week, then you get a share of the rewards that are distributed to users today. Super simple reward algorithm. It's not like Bitcoin where that's going to be how it works forever. The users can vote to update the incentives and how the rewards are distributed. And there's some great ideas flowing around about how that might happen in, in the future. And those are largely centered around use cases for the network, like people, things that people want to build. What, one example of an early application that is built on the network is there's actually a pretty incredible indie hacker who has a business called Coverage Critic that is kind of like Yelp for cell networks where mm -hmm. they get data and show you like, here's where AT&T, Verizon, or T-Mobile provides the best coverage. And they ha have a deal with uh, demo users where they're paying for access to aggregated demo user data on a monthly basis. And they get access to like the cell network data that's being transmitted by demo users. And then the demo users get the their proportional share of the rewards from, from that contract. It's basically data services contract each month. Um, and so that's that's one example of how we're you know starting to monetize the network on a very early early stage. And then there's also this marketplace where you know for being connected to the network, you can go transact with service provider like we have RepairPal, which is a huge network of of mechanics, mostly in the U.S. today, but, but adding similar services around the rest of the world. And in that case, when you transact with a partner, they have basically like a standing offer to issue you a rebate as a user and you get that in the token. So it's kind of like an airline reward point for your car. And yeah, the vision for the rewards and the token is that over time, the incentive shifts from just, you know, getting the token for simply staying connected to the network, which is the case today where, you know, we're in this very like bootstrapping phase to over time, it's going to shift more towards like, how much do you contribute back to the network? Like how much of your spend do you put into partners that are on chain and demo and how much does that mm -hmm. generate in fees? And in most cases, we think we can help users, you know, save a pretty substantial amount of their spend by using their collective bargaining power to get better deals with businesses that want to sell them stuff. Yeah, there's sort of two categories to what you talked about there. There's the using the token as an incentive to incentivize user behavior, which we've seen. We've seen lots of crypto projects do that, many with great success, some with not so great success when it comes to airdrop mechanics, basically, right. and trying to create hype and then tokens go to zero and there's no reason to... Well, the cost of switching is zero. Yeah. <laughs> In our case, like, the cost of switching is a little higher once you have your car connected. So in that way, it does like kind of create more loyalty with the users because they bought this device plugged into their car and like, right. sure, you could, you know, unplug it, but like it, there's benefit to it. And, and yeah. you know, we try to treat users in, in the right way when we're building products in the network. So, so that, yeah, I think a lot of the stuff like the airdrop farming and like a lot of the DeFi stuff where people are like, oh, we have like, you know, 2 million active users on our L2. It's just like mm -hmm. how many of those are real people and like yeah. how anchored to the real world is that you can't really know. But like with Demo, it's like pretty hard to create. You Like I'm sure people have figured out how to create a fake vehicle on, on Demo. But I mean, we've certainly like tried to invest a lot in making it extremely hard to do. And I think it, you know, it hasn't happened to the same degree that it has happened for sure. Other, yeah, for sure. And then the other thing you mentioned was the use cases and the applications that can be built on top. I imagine that the used car market is a big market that is sort of ripe for disruption here. Can you talk a little bit about how Demo could be a part of solving that? Yeah. So the way we look at basically all of the markets is what kind of information asymmetry exists 
and how can we create a more user-focused experience? And with the used car market, like people get taxed with time and most of the dealers or like Carvana or Vroom or CarMax, like the kind of like online retailers that are out there, at least in, in the US started to pop up like basically all over the place. They benefit from the fact that it's very hard to shop around and it's getting easier for consumers, but you still have to like type your VIN number into six different websites. And like, you know, you show up at the dealer and they're like, well, you know, you got this issue. And like, they try to keep you there for as long as possible. And like, in, in our case, like we can share enough data about the vehicle. And, and if there's an intent to sell, and this is, you know, purely talking at the application layer, like somebody's using demo mobile, this is kind of separate from the demo protocol. Like, right. There's the ability because you have all these users online to go and like negotiate with the market and say, Hey, this person wants to sell their car. Here's some data about it. So, you know, it's real. And like, you can give a, an accurate price, like bring them a good price and allow them to get those prices with one click. And like that just in and of itself, I think is a dramatically better experience. And then you start to get into the actual mechanics of how you transfer ownership of a vehicle. And that's where you get into like paper documents that are filed with government entities mm -hmm. and like title and registration. And those are two things that very, very clearly should be parts of the government that are turned into smart contracts. Like mm -hmm. there's no doubt in my mind that the DMV should become a smart contract. And we've kind of like made the first like toehold in that world. And now other parts of it are starting to be digitized. There are companies that have been working on turning the DMV into smart contracts. And like, I think it's fairly likely that that starts to happen. You know, West Virginia, weirdly in the US is like now a digital titles clearinghouse. And like, you can, you know, transfer a vehicle from one state to another much more effectively. Like in the past, it used to take weeks in order for that to happen. And so a lot of these identity primitives of vehicles are becoming more transferable and digitizable. And as soon as that happens, we're going to be at the forefront of like, integrating that into the applications that sit on top of the demo protocol. And then you can like literally trade in and out of your car in a day and get a much better price and not have to spend your entire Saturday going, driving to six different dealerships. And like, mm -hmm. it's just going to be a more fair and transparent market. And the bottom line of all of this is like, if you put more information into consumer hands, the businesses will come to the smart businesses will figure out how to sell them stuff. <laughs> like it's not, we're not worried about that. And like, anytime you see a business trying to prevent consumers from getting access to their own data it's because they're profiting off of the in it like the information asymmetry in some market already like that is the bottom line whether it's a car dealer or an insurance company or whoever and like you know it, no matter what anybody says like that you know you're not going to convince me otherwise and so our approach generally is put more data in the user's hand ideally turn that data into information so they know like what is valuable and what they can do with it and then create a fair market on top of that where the rules are clear and there's not one like arbiter of decision-making. And I think all of those pieces exist. It's just plugging in the right integrations and building the apps and getting people on the network. And, and that's kind of where we're at right now. But we have about a five-year roadmap of things to build. I mean, Uniswap for cars is like a very, you know, you know like open sea for cars, I guess is probably slightly better. Totally. Yeah. That's the potential to go peer to peer because right now, I've purchased a used car, but I've always purchased it through a third party. I've never yeah. done it direct because I'm not a car guy. I don't know what I'm buying, right? But your fear of work is huge. It's already most of the used car transactions really? today. I mean, it's going down, but like the use or the other thing about the used car market is it's three times bigger than the new car market. So like it's massive and there's a ton of opportunities to give people better financing services. It's also when people buy insurance, when you're getting a new car and 
there's a lot of other like, you know, extended warranties and like other things that consumers just get totally ripped off of. And like, mm-hmm. there's the opportunity to create like very thin margin, but you know, very scalable digital versions of all of those services that are just reliant on the fact that there's this open market. And it's kind of going to be like, like DeFi where like a lot of the margins just get competed away over time. But you know, the person that ends up winning is the participant in the transaction. And that's good. That's, you know, it's good. Yeah. yeah. That's what you want. Okay. I just want to dream big for a second. You said you have a five-year roadmap and I don't know whether these could be things on your roadmap or maybe this is beyond, you know, if you had unlimited budget and unlimited resources, what would you build? What do you see being possible down the road? I mean, we definitely want to invest more. One thing that we've said we're going to do next year is add video support to the protocol. So allow people to add dash cam data. And we've done a lot of like very productive early experiments with dash cam mapping. And there's, you know, some, some interesting projects that kind of exist in the same space as Demo that are doing, they're building like aftermarket self-driving systems for cars and open sourcing them and like making it a lot more transparent. So like getting, pushing further and faster into the robotics world and mm-hmm. and like making sure that those capabilities can exist on top of demo and that a, a lot of them can be more open like i think w- one of the things that's increasingly becoming true if you're following the news around self-driving cars like basically getting kicked out of san francisco yeah um, or at least crews getting kicked out of san francisco and 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 elsewhere um people have huge trust issues with ai and like robotics is like the physical manifestation of that and so you know being able to help like get out in front of that and create a more open and transparent like operating environment for those types of systems was part of the original vision of demo and we we took this very like practical approach of like well let's get a bunch of cars online first and then they'll start to get smarter over time we can build services but like that's that's the next phase for this and we want to make sure that there's like you know kind of a smooth and orderly transition to that world and people can be in control throughout like there's not going to just be some robo taxi fleet that like shows up on your streets without your permission and is like doing all kinds of crazy shit and like you're not going to have some say into that or visibility into what's going on and you know i think along those lines like a lot of people in the crypto world are very like anti-establishment anti-government like i've seen you know just having worked in the public transit space like the government does a lot of important like really you know provide a lot of important critical services and like i don't agree with all the things that they they do but like there's certain aspects of like you know, government regulation or government services that I think should be brought on chain really fast. And we talked about the DMV and like, you know, public transportation and like creating more shared public goods. I think Demo actually can make a much healthier environment for that when it comes to mobility specifically, whether it's like getting a new title for your car or like operating a more efficient bus system in your city or you know, creating like better on-demand rides. And then, yeah, we also talked about like better peer-to-peer services and marketplaces. Like if you look at something like Turo or Get Around, you know, you have these very like Web2 companies that are allowing people to share their cars. But I use Turo a lot and I look at the take rate and, and what they're providing for the 30% or so that they take of, of somebody's rental. And, you know, I think that there's definitely a way for somebody to create a much more consumer friendly version of that on top of Demo. And I'd love to live, you know, I live in a neighborhood, fortunately, where like I have a neighbor who has a truck and like I get to borrow it from him. But, mm-hmm. you know, creating much more of those kind of like local, like hyper local markets for people to share vehicle mm-hmm. is a really good idea. Um, and something that it's just been impossible to create because there isn't enough of this like shared, you know, the digital connectivity layer that people can build on without having to know how to like, you know, create a hardware device and like a mobile app and all mm-hmm. this stuff. Like, you know, just, it, yeah. So 
I think all these things are are possible for us. It's all about like kind of sequencing them in the right order and finding the right teams to build them on top of the network. And as we're opening up the developer platform, it becomes a lot more possible to like parallelize these things and run experiments alongside each other. And, and up until now, we've really just been in like get the core thing working and then get it to the point where anybody actually can build an app on top of Dima. And so, yeah, I mean, by the end of the year, I'll say that we'll have, you know, come damn close to like checking off that box and be able to get into some of these more exciting things. That's awesome. It's amazing how it all comes back to trust. Like when you talk about the, like an example, like Turo and sharing your vehicle, I imagine for those who share their vehicle, that they don't have any idea really what happens with the vehicle while yeah. they're sharing it, right? But if well, you- Turo's requiring telematics now, and that's cool for us because a lot of our users are actually operating Turo fleets. And so this is their telematic, like this is how they connect their car and they get all the data right. from it. And like, you know, so, so that's cool. And it is like a beachhead into that, into that world. And like, we're not necessarily opposed to Turo. We think that there's a yeah. way to make that market more fair. And yeah, totally. We don't really love the dynamics of like, one company having their finger on the scale of a market like that. And I mean, that's when you know they're going to be disrupted. Let's say I'm using the demo app and I put the hardware unit in my car. What data is it going to give me? Could it impact like my driving? Could it like, would it tell me things that would impact the way I use my car? We give you everything that we get today. <laughs> and so for certain cars, that's more than others. And we, you know, one thing that we hear a lot from people is like, I didn't know that I needed an oil change. And so with, you know, there's this very like kind of basic, like maintenance, you know, that we, we give to use. We're also starting to generate more intelligent notifications from the data. So like when you hit 10,000 miles, like, Hey, it's time to do this, this, and this, get an oil change. You know, you have 40,000 miles, you probably need new tires or you have this card. EVs need new tires faster than others. So like, that's something that we're, we're thinking a lot about is like giving people, you know, not this new thing that they have to like check in on all the time, but just like, this is your buddy now. Like you don't have to worry about your car stuff because all your data is in there, but like, you don't even need to look at it if you don't want. It's just going to like come out and service itself to you when it's time. You know, you hit 50,000 miles or 100,000 miles. A lot of people sell their car at that point. So like, here are some offers if you don't want them, like whatever. Um, and, and so yeah, we, we kind of think about like, you know, certainly um, one thing that, that we're looking at adding to the, the mobile app is like the concept of like trip data and insights. So like you drove this trip, here's how much gas you use. Like here's how that compares to other people with the same car. Here's a lot of parents connect this uh, connect to Demo because they have teen drivers and they want to know like what was the top speed on my kid's drive and so like there's a ton of different use cases and it really depends on like whether you're a small business owner or a Turo fleet you know owner I'm sort of of the opinion just thinking about like I'm surprisingly not really a car guy I'm more like a car nerd does that make sense and so I, I don't really care about like my engine performance or whatever, but I do care about what my car is worth. And like, I think about trading it and selling and getting a new car, like, you know, kind of have ADD with that. So like yeah, everybody's different. And our goal is to try to provide like the, the mobile app in particular to make that like kind of the one size fits all. You can sort of opt into getting different notifications and you can use third-party services and it's a jumping off point into using a game or getting cheaper insurance or selling your car or whatever. And one thing that we've started to mess around with that I get pretty excited about is the potential. I don't know if you watched the OpenAI developer day that they had yesterday, but they're like talking about you can now create like your own custom AI agent that's trained on some third part, you know, some unique data that you're bringing to the table. And like, that's going to be pretty powerful for demo users. You're going to be able to like query your car data in natural language and say, 
you know, where was it? What happened? Where was my car like three weeks ago on Thursday? Like show me the, the data on a map. And like, you're going to be able to kind of like spin up these, you know, very custom queries for certain questions and, and also plug in the marketplace and have these, you know, kind of like intelligent agents that are doing your bidding with this important asset in your life. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess your original question, it, it depends on what kind of car you have <laughs> and yeah. we're working on making that, that more clear and, and also you know, better for people or, you know, better for people up front before they buy the device. Um, mm-hmm. And there's also a lot of work to be done in, in terms of like I- improving that over time. It's not going to be like Ford Pass where the app stays the same forever. Like right. we're constantly investing in servicing your data in, in more unique ways. I love that you brought up AI and I can't have this episode without asking you a little bit about autonomous vehicles and where you think that is. And I think what's most interesting to me is trust is such a... A, a core pillar of what you're building and blockchain allows trust in a new way. And we've talked a lot on our podcast about how I think every AI came along and everybody in crypto was like, oh no, there goes all our VC funding, right? Yeah. But I think the thing that we keep pushing is AI really is going to expedite the need for blockchain because we need verified truth now even yeah. more than we needed it before because we don't trust AI, whether that yeah. be at an autonomous vehicle or whether that be a piece of software, there's a real lack of trust. And so if you can use blockchain to bring that trust back in, then it makes a lot of sense. What is the current state of autonomous vehicles and is there a role for Demo to play there? Yeah. So I think we're interested and what we have built is like a more solid foundation to create and deploy some of these applications, some of these AI powered applications at scale in a way that can be rooted in trust, be trusted by by the users. And you see this a little bit like like I get the insight that the folks who are building WorldCoin are pulling on. I'm not sure that that's, you know, I think there's there might be some PR issues around like that being so closely tied to OpenAI in a lot of ways, but like that's kind of a separate kind of kind of a separate issue. And you can think of Demo very simple like Demo's kind of like WorldCoin for your car. Where it's like, you know, there's this, you, you bring it online and you verify that it's real in a certain way. And for us, like, instead of having to like scan your eyeball and it's just, you scan the port in your car and you, you know, register the VIN number. And that, you know, in, in our case, like create, opens up this whole design space for building an, an application that can run on any car. And I think the most compelling application that you can run on any car by far is going to be the ability to make it drive itself. Mm-hmm. And that's going to roll out in a way that people don't necessarily expect. Like, I think cars are going to park themselves far more quickly than they're going to drive themselves you, you know, on local streets. And what do you mean by that? Well, you do it today. So when you look at like what, what's being the, the capabilities that are being put into modern cars, like even Tesla said, they have a you know, smart summon feature. They haven't invested a whole lot in, but like they're supposedly rolling out, rolling out a new version. And, and I think we'll, we'll figure out, and maybe Demo will be part of the solution to this. This is something that we worked on quite a bit in the early days, but shelved for a variety of reasons that's kind of a separate podcast in and of itself but like there are certain aspects of a trip that can be automated a lot more effectively than others today and highway driving is like extremely easy to it's basically a solved problem but the 
issues are in regulations and driver monitoring and the fact that there's lots of other human drivers on the road. And like every once in a while, you'll just like encounter like ladder, like falling off the back of a truck at 80 miles an hour in front of you. So that part of the drive is like basically easy to automate, solve problem from a robotic standpoint, but like we need to figure out the like social implications of it. The like local driving is incredibly difficult. You see this in San Francisco, like even today just came out, Cruise had an intervention every two miles when they were driving around in San Francisco remotely. <laughs> and like, right. you know, that I don't know how you solve that problem from a social standpoint, even technologically, like way most far ahead of them. But like, even that is a tremendously difficult problem. And then you have like the parking problem and that is actually quite easy to solve. And like, you're typically operating at very low speeds and like the, the person is often not even in the car. So like creating an experience where somebody like gets out of their car at the airport or like outside of their apartment complex and like the car goes and parks itself is really like more of a coordination challenge and being able to create shared infrastructure. So like the parking garage knows it has an empty spot in on the third floor in the back right corner, and it can communicate that to the car and the car can pick up that message and then say, okay, well, I can like go pay $5 and like go drive over here at five miles an hour. And then I'll come back. The user presses the button in the app and it shows up. Like, so that kind of experience is like really just an infrastructure and coordination challenge and getting all these systems to like network together. And that's, I think where Demo can solve a lot of the issues is because we create this, you know, unique, verifiable on-chain identity for different hardware devices, not just cars, but like the ticket machine in the parking garage, the arm goes up and like, you know, the framework that we've established for vehicles can be used to create any of those types of experiences. And we went down the rabbit hole of like, can we make shared like sort of perception system for cars so that it's basically like video cameras in a garage that are watching the garage. And instead of, you know, so you're driving a, a car that doesn't even itself have to be autonomous, but it knows like there's a person around the corner and so slow down or stop. And like, kind of local network is is aware of the state of things rather than the car having to be aware. And so I think people are starting to come back, walk back from this like grand vision of, you know, level five autonomy is what they call it. Like the car takes you anywhere at any time. And like, it's this all knowing computer to like, hey, maybe we should just invest in some shared infrastructure that can actually deliver these like very concrete use cases or specific applications and provide value to people and like make them want to pay more for a car, which is where all the automakers are coming back to the OEMs are realizing that. And mm -hmm. in the meantime, like progress in AI will help to automate driving your car down the highway or, you know, maybe some of the like local roads travel, but it's certainly not going to happen in the way that, you know, even I would have assumed it, it would in, in 2016, where people just looked at the progress and were like, oh, it's just going to continue like this forever. <laughs> yeah. Expectations have met reality there. Yeah. And, you know, I think I haven't seen anyone else propose a more like reasonable solution to the problem of how do you get all these different machines to coordinate in a transparent way. And the, one of the problems and the thing that holds us back when we're trying to have some of these conversations, and it's not something that we're like prioritizing, like creating that automated parking experience is not possible mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons today. But if Demo gets up to the scale of even a million vehicles, like people will start to, I think, really consider that as, as an alternative. And so that that's a place we could find ourselves in, in the next, you know, 18, 24 months or so. And so like, we haven't seen somebody else propose a, a more viable solution. And we know what we need to do to like get from from here to there. And I think that's something that, that will happen. It's just, it's going to happen a little bit more slow motion than, than people are used to in the tech world. Well, I hope that all of our listeners who have listened to this episode are going to take the step to uh, helping Demo provide that million vehicles and being part of this. How can our listeners get involved? How can they set get set up on Demo? Yeah, I mean, we we made this new hardware device with an excellent hardware partner to provide you know a hundred dollar price point that keeps you connected for three years. And so 
you can pre-order it right now. Maybe by the time the episode comes out, you'll be able to actually be shipping them. I know it's going to happen in the next the next couple of weeks here. The the first units are going to start to get into people's hands from a like consumer perspective. And then there's a good chance that if you have a newer car, you can just connect, download Demo Mobile, log in, connect your wallet or use the, the in-app wallet to to create a vehicle. Kind of like, you know, you're joining a gang. It's like a Web3 AAA, you know, like you're getting in and it's only going to keep getting better. And, and we're continuing to build more integrations and you know, you're going to see some some real progress on the mobile app. And if you're a fleet operator and you have hundreds of vehicles, like we provide a pretty compelling fleet management solution mm-hmm. today. And obviously, you know, there's tons of upside in terms of contributing and, and joining the network today. And I think that's something that's going to continue into the future. So yeah, get on board and message us on Twitter, demo underscore network. If you have any issues getting connected, any thoughts about the app, we also have a pretty active discord community, people sharing car tips and talking about all kinds of stuff in their cool. building apps. Do you get token incentives if you connect with the app or do you only get the token incentives if you install the hardware? You get both. And if you're connected with the hardware device today, you're getting more rewards. You also get rewards from some of the applications that are using the aggregated data from from the hardware device today. There's basically an incentive for connecting at, at the baseline, it varies based on, you know, what kind of vehicle you have, but right. yeah, it's, I actually, I mean, the, the rewards are issued weekly and I, I don't like follow it on, on that level, but I know it's, it's worth it. It's kind of like an airline reward point for your car. Like nobody's, it's not like one of those crypto projects where it's like to the moon, like everybody's getting rich. It's more yeah. like, we're just like kind of participating in this user owned network, this sort of like ambient data sharing rewards happening. And then, yeah, that's over time that the goal is really to make it in, into something on the you know, marketplace and services side where like the more of your car spend that you direct into the network like you can actually save like most people spend about twelve thousand dollars a year on their car and we think we can you know at scale save people like between 15 and 20 percent of that so like that's that's pretty meaningful money back in, wow. in people's pockets and w- one of the things that a lot of our users value is time savings too and and we intend to provide a lot of that as well i love it okay before we wrap i just want to do a quick speed round and some fun questions First question, what's an NFT you'll never sell? Well, I've got one of the first NFTs. I mean, one of the first cars ever connected to Demo. And I think it is number three. My dad had number one. So I, I plugged his car in just because he had an EV. So I would hope he doesn't sell that. I don't think he knows how. I'm not going to sell mine ever. Even if I sell the car, I'll just keep I'll keep the NFT. So it brings up an interesting question about the how the NFT and the car are connected. Yeah. When you sell, they're not connected. So when you sell- It's a key to the data from the car when it was connected when you owned it. So if you, right. if somebody else shows up and, you know, plugs a device into that vehicle and, and tries to mint it, they can, you know, start over from that point. But yeah, I've got, I've got one of, one of the first of my Toyota RAV4. In the future, we do envision a world where you'd be able to attach some of the like ownership primitives to the NFT. And I think account abstraction and a lot of the other tools are going to be necessary to make that. You don't want somebody to like steal your wallet and steal your car. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, having physical possession of the car is enough to bring it online and demo it. So that can kind of like allow you to create a new starting point for the vehicle at that point. Right. And then if you did sell the vehicle, you could, if you wanted, also pass the NFT over, which would give all the data of that car to the new owner. Or I guess you could not. You could do that. And and some people have, have done that. And it does, you know, theoretically increase the the value of the car and, and right. the history. I mean, one, one tool that we've imagined is a way to kind of like roll up the data. So you don't get to see like everywhere that you've ever been, but you get to see here's how many times, here's how many miles you drove while connected. Here's the oil changes you got. Like 
kind of that like Carfax style history. <laughs> and yeah, that, that piece of it is going to require a little bit more development work today. The simplest thing to do is like, you get it, you own all the data, you can show up to a third party app and, and use it. Cool. Okay. Last question. If you had a billboard that 1 billion people were going to see, what would you write on it? Connect your car to demo QR code. <laughs> yeah. Billion people. There's there's 1.4 billion cars in the world. So hopefully that would get a good chunk of them on there. I don't know. I'd have to think of something very like catchy and creative. Yeah, definitely. It would be demo related at this point. Uh, I love it. I love and, it. Yeah. Awesome. Andy, thank you so much for the time. Very excited about everything you guys are building. These are the crypto use cases that we took us a little while to get here. We really spent some time on the NFT mania and maybe got a little sidetracked with just making JPEGs worth $100,000 for no reason. But well, now, some, some of them are. I don't know. I would still buy. I think CryptoPunk might be up there. But yeah, yeah. work with them, no. And look, there's it's one of those things with the crypto world where it's like just there's so many like side quests and kind of like duplicative activities out there in the like purely digital world. But once you get anchored back into physical reality, yeah, it's a very useful tool. 100%. Andy, thanks so much for the time today. Thanks for having me, Jay. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and subscribe or follow so that you don't miss the next one. While you're at it, there's a link in the description for our free newsletter where we provide timely and relevant Web3 insights so you can confidently build and invest in Web3. Make sure to subscribe today. One final note. This podcast is for educational purposes only and nothing we say is financial advice. Crypto and Web3 are risky and you should never invest more than you're willing to lose. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.